speaking of my lovely bride, Julie, as a matter of fact, we, some of you know if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you know we've been married for 23 years. 23 years. Yay, God. Yay, Julie. And, um, you know, you would think after 23 years we've got it all figured out and, and everything's just kind of rocking along and... <laughs> That is so cute. But really and truly, we are in a great place as husband and wife, but we're in a really odd season. We have one of our children is already in college. Emily is a sophomore at the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And Joseph, our son, is a senior in high school, which means this time next year, in just a few short months, Julie and I will be empty nesters. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now, here's the deal. There's a side of it that is awesome. Like, I'm like, man, Joe, do not let the door hit you on the way out. Good luck. Take care right if you get work. But then there's another part. There's another part of me and Julie. And we're kind of like, this is going to be so weird. I mean, kids in our house, or kids are kind of like microwave. We don't even remember life before them. It's like, how, how did we make a plan? How did we look at our calendar? You know, like with a microwave, you're like, how did people cook food before the microwave? And as parents, we're kind of like, what was life like before there were kids in our household? And next fall, we're going to find out. And so we're, gonna be, we're kind of like, what's it going to be like? Are we going to be like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? Because we kind of plan out a week now and look around, but... It's going to be really kind of betwixt and between. There's this air of excitement and celebration that they're gone. And then there's another part that's like, man, what do we do? And so we're kind of, we're kind of between. And I told you that to tell you this. Everybody I have ever known, everybody I have ever talked to who gives their life to Christ, who, who decides to follow Jesus, gets to a similar place spiritually. We all will get to a place spiritually once we come to follow Christ where we kind of are betwixt and between. The best way I heard this described was by my friend David Hughes in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. David says, you know, there's a place in your life where you get to where there's, you've got just enough God in your life to where your old sin isn't fun anymore, but you've still got enough of that old sin in your life to where God isn't yet fun anymore. And you're kind of betwixt and between. And the reality is, if we don't go all in, if we don't sell out in our faith to Jesus, we will remain betwixt and between. And the sad reality is, as long as we're betwixt and between, we will never experience the fullness of the freedom that Jesus Christ offers to us. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, he says, it was for freedom, say freedom, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The whole reason that Jesus Christ became one of us, walked on the face of the earth, gave his life on the cross, rose again from the dead so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life was so we would know this freedom in every part of our lives. And yet, a lot of us don't always live in that kind of freedom. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' first public message, it's known as 
the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is just delivering his first sermon on, on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee there in Palestine. And Jesus, in this opening sermon, is laying the groundwork for what this freedom really and truly looks like. And it's in this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus makes a profound statement about the role of money in the freedom that we enjoy and experience in this life. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, wherever, say wherever, wherever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it's really interesting to me that Jesus would make this kind of bold proclamation early in his ministry. That before he's really kind of introduced himself and gotten people's trust and that he just kind of launches right into it. This is the very first sermon he's preached publicly that we have recorded biblically. And he says, you got to understand, the love of money will mess you up. Now, some people, some people say that money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that statement said money is the root of all evil? That's not true. The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And Jesus is getting at the reality here in Matthew chapter 6 that we've got a choice to make. What's interesting to me, just from my own life, my own observation, is that this is a choice that nobody makes once and for all. If you want to seriously defeat the monster of materialism in your life, it's going to require repeated choices and decisions. That's just kind of how it works. And the Bible tells us in order to unlock the prison of materialism, there is a key available to us. There's something that we can get at. Now, I didn't realize this when I was in college. I've shared this. If you're new, you may not have heard this story, but if you've been around for years, you might have heard me say, the worst piece of mail I ever got was when I was a sophomore in college. I got an envelope at my door that said, Visa believes in your future. And I'll never forget that envelope. I thought, well, man, if Visa believes in my future, I must have it going on. Sign me up. But what the envelope should have said is not Visa believes in your future. They should have said Visa wants to own your future. I didn't understand at 19 years old, compound interest at 18%. Somebody help me preach. And so when I got that little card in the mail, it came and it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't silver, it wasn't gray, it was platinum. Platinum because I was special and they believed in my future. And so I started using that thing. We'd go out to eat, I'd go with, you know, two or three friends, I'd go, I got it, y'all pay me back, and I'll just pay the credit card bill. You know where this story's going, right? <laughs> and, and so, without even trying, I racked up a thousand, two thousand, three thousand plus dollar credit card bill. And there was no way as a sophomore in college, a junior in college, a senior in college, a second year senior in college, that I was going to pay that bill off. But you see, I wanted what Visa could provide for me that I was not providing for myself at the time. 
I, I, I saw meals out. I saw clothes. I, I saw us being able to do and go and see. And I had let the monster of materialism creep into my life and wrap its tentacles around every part. And so that credit card bill, that debt, that problem followed me into adulthood. It followed me into marriage. Fortunately, I married a woman with a pathological fear of consumer debt. We cut the credit cards up and paid them off and moved on out of that. And we discovered this key to fighting the monster of materialism. It's a key that God has provided biblically. Specifically, it's called the tithe. Say tithe. Tithe is a great word. Now, you need to understand something. The tithe, God gives to us as a gift. The tithe is not about what we give to God. It's about what God gives to us. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, this is not for you. If you are not yet a Christ follower, this is kind of advanced study for you. But for those of us who say we're on God's team, we have stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. God gives us this key to open the prison door of materialism and escape normal, to get out of it. The tithe is an amazing gift from God. The best explanation is found in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter number 3. Malachi, or Malachi, depending on how you read Hebrew, is found in the Old Testament. It's not a real well-trafficked book of the Bible, but I want you to see what God says about the tithe in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. I'm just kidding, it's Malachi. God says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." Now, when God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, what's he talking about? There's a lot of misunderstanding about what tithe really means. I had a friend of mine, this was years and years and years ago, he said, hey, listen, I just want you to know my tithe this month is not going to the church. I said, well, I didn't even know if you were tithing, but thanks for bringing it up. He goes, yeah, my, tithe, my, my son's baseball team needs some sporting equipment, so that's going to be my tithe this month. I went, no, it's not. That's going to be a nice charitable donation to your son's baseball team, but that ain't a tithe, Hoss. The tithe is 10% of income devoted to the church. That's what the tithe is. Bring the whole tithe, 10% devoted to the church, that results in the following. Straight from the book of Malachi. Five things that the tithe produces. Number one, the tithe produces ministry. Ministry happens because God's people tithe. He says in Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. When Israel would bring the tithe, they would bring the first 10% of their grain. That was how they made money. They would bring the first 10%, the first fruits, to the temple. That first 10% was used to feed the poor and to fuel the ministries of the temple. So ministry happens because of the tithe. Number two... God generates faith through the tithe. What does he say? 
bring the whole tithe. Then he says, test me in this. You need to write this down on your notes page there. When God says, test me, in the, orig in the original Hebrew, it is translated, bring it. That's B-R-A-N-G-I-T, one word, bring it. God says, let's dance. You, you doubt this? Test me in this. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much. So there's ministry, there's faith, and then third, because of the tithe, there is blessing. God blesses those who tithe. Now, let me be quick to say this. That does not necessarily mean that God will bless you financially, okay? Don't walk out of here saying, oh, there's a prosperity gospel. Prosperity. I don't like that. God, he might bless you financially. He might. But God has so many resources at his disposal to bless us. Don't limit him to only being blessed financially. Some of you are thinking right now, well, that'd be good for me. I'm happy to limit him to financial blessing. But God will bless you. He promises that. He will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. Then verse 11, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. There is a supernatural protection that God provides through the tithe. A supernatural protection that guards against economic uncertainties, financial downfalls. This is a promise from God. Now, most of us don't have to worry about pests invading our crops or our vines casting their fruit. But we do understand financial uncertainty, don't we? We do understand economic downturns. God says, I will protect you against that. But then there's one more thing. What does he say? He will also give us favor. When a Christ follower tithes, there will be favor. Then all the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a delightful land. Now, let me, let, let me invite you into my world for just a second. What I just gave you right there would have been a great sermon. That, that could have been a five-point sermon. You only pay for a three-point sermon, but most people, you could get a five-point. I'm just kidding. You didn't pay for it anyway. Five points. We, we could have gone through that, and man, just, oh, hallelujah, past the gravy. We're going to Luby's. It's awesome. Knock yourself out. But I think it's important for us to really get at this because the reality is the vast majority of Christians don't tithe. As a matter of fact, the most recent surveys estimate that 2.8% of Christ followers tithe. 2.8%. I believe we can do better. Now, it's important. I'm going to help you out a little bit here. This is, this is actually going to be fun. Now, we've done this before, but it was years ago. But I think it warrants revisiting why don't people tithe why not tithe it's a great question so I'm going to actually help you I'm going to give you a list of reasons not to tithe why not number one one of the main reasons people don't tithe is because they're not Christians non-Christians if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. If you're not yet a Christ follower, you just got a 10% bump. Congratulations. Number two, people say, I don't tithe because I didn't know about it. That's, that's, a lot of people say that. They go, Nobody ever taught me about tithing. 
I didn't know. Which was valid until about seven minutes ago. But anyway, number three. People don't tithe because there's no income. No money coming in. They, they may be living on former investments or you know, maybe they hit a home run about five or six years ago and sold a company and bought an island somewhere. That's fine. But no income. I've told you all before, I, I, I'm a communications guy. I was English and history in college and in school. I stayed away from the engineering and math buildings. But I do remember this. 10% of zero is zero. So when we talk about 10% of income, if there's no income, there's no tithe. Number four. Now, people don't really say this out loud very much, but sometimes, but they'll think it to themselves, I don't make enough. I don't make enough money to tithe. Man, we are barely getting by. We are, man, we're, we're running out of money before we run out of months. There is no way we could add and, and give 10% to the church based on what's happening right now. I don't make enough. Now, like I said, not that many people say that out loud, but sometimes if in, a, in a moment of transparency, they'll, they'll say that. Number five, Nobody ever says out loud, but they'll say it from time to time privately in their heart of hearts. They'll say, I make too much. Some people will say to themselves, you know, man, if I gave 10% of what I make in a year, that would choke a horse. There is no way I'm tithing 10% on that number. That's what... That happens sometimes. Number four. I love, oh wait, I missed one. No, that was number five. I make too much, right? Yes. Number six, this one is fun. This one is a blast. Pseudo theology. Pseudo theology. This one, we're going to camp out here for a second because this is fun. The pseudo-theologian will say, Mac, I understand what you're trying to accomplish with the conversation about the tithe, but if you'll notice, that was from Malachi, which is in the Old Testament. And according to the New Testament, we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And so the tithe has expired. We, that is Old Testament. And they, they usually say it that seriously, too. Here's the problem. Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. Now, I went to seminary. Matthew's in the New Testament. It's the first book. And in Matthew 23, Jesus endorses the tithe. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the, the legalists of his day. And he says, you know, you guys are so legalistic down to tithing even on the grains of your spices, your dill and your cumin, you tithe on that, but you have forgotten the more important matters of the law like love, kindness, justice, and mercy. And so far you're thinking, man, he tithed his Old Testament. No, no, no. Then he goes on, he says, you should have done the former, the tithe, without neglecting the latter. Jesus endorses the tithe by name, Matthew 23. So that's why I call this pseudo-theology. 
Does anybody remember Phil Collins? Susu Studio, remember that? Susu Studio theology. I love, I love when people try to go toe-to-toe with me on that one. I'm like, ah, I hate that for you. There's the New Testament. But anyway, and then this one, we have to mention it. I'm, I'm, I really mean it when I tell you this, but it's real. It's just good old-fashioned apathy. There's people who go, I'm not doing it. I go to church there. Music's cool. The preaching's okay, but the lights are always on. My kids are taking care of I'm not doing it. I've heard about the tithe. I know that it's in the Bible. I'm just not going to do it. Not going to do it. Now, this is, a, this is an impressive list right here. That, that's that some strong. But I want you to notice something. Hopefully you've been writing this down in your notes page. I want you to draw a line underneath number three. Just, just draw you a line underneath number three. Number one, not a Christian. Number two, I don't know. Number three, no income. This line is the line of legitimacy. This line, everything above this line is too legit to quit. Those are legitimate reasons not to tithe. If you're not a Christian, legit. If you didn't know, that's fine. Guess what? Now you do. Number three, no income. If there's nothing coming in, don't tithe. You you don't have anything to tithe on, bro. So, or sis. So, Everything above is a legitimate reason not to tithe, which means everything below is illegitimate. You cannot make a biblical argument in favor of non-tithing based on anything below that line. Anything below that line does not hold water. Now, that's kind of negative, isn't it? I don't mean to be negative. Why tithe? Let me make it personal. Why I tithe? Julie and I started tithing before we got married. Before we got married, Julie was in college. She got an allowance from her dad. I was out of college, and I was pulling in big money. I was a part-time youth pastor. I was pulling down $750 a month pre-tax jack but we decided together as an engaged couple we were going to trust God with every part of our home and so we began tithing on that $750 a month we tithed $75 changed the world but it did something in us it God did everything and then some that he promises in Malachi chapter number three. Number one, the first reason that I tithe. And here's the deal. I'm giving you this list, and if God does something in your heart, great. And if he doesn't, we'll do something else next week. But this is the bottom line. Number one, I tithe because I trust God. I trust God. I believe that what God says in the Bible, he's actually going to do. And I've seen him do it. I have seen God honor when Julie and I have written tithe checks, back when people wrote checks. I've seen God do what only God could do. 
Here's the thing. There have been a lot of times in our life as a family, my life personally, where I have prayed and asked God to do something supernatural, to, to change a circumstance or a situation or to, to move heaven and earth in some way that I knew I couldn't get done on my own. And every time that God has done that, I've noticed a pattern. God always does the supernatural after I do the natural. After I do what I can do, God does what I can't do and only he can do. The tithe is a statement of trust. It's a statement of faith as much as anything else in life. I trust God. Number two, I want everybody to do this. Everybody make a fist. Just make a fist right there. Now do this. I'm just keeping it real, all right? We're just keeping it real right now. Number two, I like myself more when I give. I like myself more when I give. Am I, uh, there's no way I'm the only one. I'm just the only one honest enough to say it out loud with a microphone. I like myself more when I give. When I'm generous. I like, I like Mac better when he's generous. Think of somebody you know right now in your life, in your circle of influence, who is joyful. Think of somebody that you know who's joyful right now. Just put them in the frontal lobe of your brain. Now, obviously, I have no idea who you're thinking about. But I do know that that is a generous person. I know that that is somebody who is generous, at least generous of spirit. Those are people you like to go out to lunch with or go out to dinner with. You know, when you go out to, to eat with somebody and they break out the calculator to figure out the, the tip, it's like, well, we were going to do 15%, but they were a little slow with the water, so your bill came to 1283 times 14.25%. We need to make a statement. And they start doing it like that. He's like, man, or, or maybe, have you ever been to eat with the slow pay artist? You know, here, let me get the bill. By then, you've already paid, written out the ticket and the tip and everything. I was like, okay, I'll get it next time. And you're like, yeah, there ain't going to be no next time. <laughs> Stingy people are not joyful. They're not. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. You know that word cheerful? In the original Greek, this is true, by the way. I know I made up a, a word earlier with malachi. But in Greek, the word cheerful is hilarious. Hilarious. So when we're giving, when we're writing out that check or we're deciding what we're going to give electronically, we're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> 10%. <laughs> That's hilarious. Whew. But there's something in that. There, there's something, and there's a reason why. That is because that's how God has wired us up. We enjoy giving good gifts when we're healthy. Number three, I tithe because I need God's blessing and protection. I need God's blessing and protection. I know for a fact I am not smart enough to guard against any economic or financial calamity that may befall me or this world. And God promises in Malachi chapter 3 that he will prevent the pests from devouring our fields or our vines from casting our fruit. I need that protection. Number four, 
I alluded to this in number two, but I'm going to say it out loud. Giving and tithing reveals God's character through me. It reveals God's character. When we give, that reflects the character and the personality of God. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the one and only. God is a God who gives. Even in the tithe, which we look at that and go, man, 10%, we're giving 10%. God says, I'm going to give you. You will never outgive God. You will never outgive God. And when we give, we're reflecting his character and his nature. Number five, when Julie and I tithe, we're honoring the fact that we made a vow with God and other LHC members. When we put our name on the dotted line and said we are members of Lake Hills Church, we made a vow that we would tithe. We made that vow to you. We made that vow to God. Our membership covenant for everybody who is a member of the church, we have made a vow that we will bring God's tithe. Number six, and this is a little bit different. It's connected, but it's distinct. I love, say I love. I love feeding the fire of the LHC vision. Our vision to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. I know when Julie and I tithe, and we tithe electronically, we've talked about it, we've prayed about it, but we tithe, we know that part of that money is going to help students go to camp this summer. And because they've been at camp this summer, they will make choices and decisions in their lives that will radically alter the trajectory of their forever. Their marriages, one day, God willing, will be stronger because they've been at our camps. That when Julie and I tithe, Mobile Loaves and Fishes is resourced to feed the chronically poor and homeless in the city of Austin and beyond. That when we tithe as a church family, the vision that God has given us as a church is resourced. First thing he says in Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe so that my storehouse may be full, so that the ministries can proceed and radiate out of this place. I, I, like, I like being a part of that. I, I like seeing lives changed. Number seven, I'm not proud of this one, but it's true. I need the discipline. I need the discipline that the tithe requires. In order for Julie and me, to give 10% to bring the whole tithe, that means we've got to know what's coming in. We've got to know what's going out. We, we've got to communicate as husband and wife. The number one reason that people cite for divorce in the United States of America is financial stress. That's the number one reason people cite, and they're wrong. It ain't about the money. It's about what the money represents. Because what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is is where your heart will be. What you spend your money on is a reflection of your priorities. So Julie and I, as husband and wife, mom and dad, we have to make sure that we stay on the same page. 
like, um, honey, you, you spent how much on hunting equipment? I'm like, sugar, that's to provide meat for the family for the winter. I needed that ATV to get over the range. You know, I mean, we gotta, you got to be able to hunt. We need protein. I'm kidding. I didn't buy an ATV without talking to Julie. I bought some other stuff without talking to her. We've, we've had those conversations. And you know what's interesting to me? I believe God's sense of humor, most of the time in marriage, he brings together a saver and a spender. Most of the time. Not always. But a saver and a spender. One of them is like, man, we, we've got to know exactly what's coming in. I need the columns right. Get a pencil, no pen for the budget meeting. We'll do this. And the other one's like, pull the trigger. Let it fly, baby. <laughs> and both can learn from the other. Marriage is ultimately about sanctification. Marriage is about being made whole and more like Christ. So we can learn from each other. We don't have to necessarily be the prodigal son in the distant land, but neither do we have to be Ebenezer Scrooge and miserly around Christmas time. Somebody help me preach. <laughs> but I need the discipline that tithing requires. And then the last thing I'm going to leave you with. I want my kids to live in financial peace. I want Emily and Joseph Richard to leave our house knowing the peace of God, the freedom that comes from financial freedom. That's some great handwriting right there, isn't it? But seriously, I want Emily and Joseph to know the freedom of no credit card debt, even at Christmas. I want Emily and Joseph to know the freedom that comes from trusting God to meet all of their needs as they work, as they serve him with everything that they have. I want Emily and Joseph to know a peaceful home where mom and dad are on the same page financially and hopefully in every other way. But this financial freedom only comes by the choices that we make day in and day out. This is what God offers to us through the tithe. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, this is an advanced study for you. This is for something for you to, to tuck away for a later date. But for those of us who say we are followers of Christ, we're going to move beyond that 2.8%. We're going to move beyond and escape normal. Jesus continues this thread all the way through chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, he starts it by talking about the fact that money and what we do with it is a hard issue. But then he kind of wraps it up. And he says, you know, don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. 
Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. It's very simple. You believe him or you don't. You believe him or you don't. I've gotten to do this ministry for a while, right at about 25, 26, 27 years. I have never, ever heard of anybody, much less spoken to them, talked to anyone, received an email from anyone who tithes as an expression of faith and regrets it. I've never one time heard of somebody who said, you know what? I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he commands. I'm going to trust him and obey. And they did it as a statement of faith, trusting God. And they regretted it or resented it. I've never heard of that person. But I've talked to countless hundreds of people who have said, you know what? I thought you were nuts the first time I heard about a tithe. I thought that was cray-cray. But then I did it. We, we made a decision. And we wrote that first check, and it was not hilarious. But God showed up. And he did exactly what you said he was going to do. And I told him, I didn't say he was going to do it. He said he was going to do it. When our church first started, and there were about 35 or 40 people coming on the weekends, I was reticent to talk about tithing or money. I was like, man, do, do not make anybody want to leave. Don't, they're sensitive. They're sensitive about money. And what I discovered was I was robbing people of the information and the knowledge about the blessing of what God wants to do through the tithe. I was doing our church a gross disservice by not teaching on the tithe. And so one Sunday I stood up and I, I, just, went, I just went through, I just went at it. I went, here we go. And what happened was absolutely unbelievable. I remember standing at the door that day, shaking hands after the service, and you know, some people were like, another eh, sermon. <laughs> other people were like, I'm going out the other door, <laughs> never to return. But there were other people that came through the door and they're like, man, that was awesome. I love that you talked about tithing. We tithe and it's, it's a blast. And I noticed. Non-Christians are not the ones who get offended when you talk about the tithe. Non-Christians automatically disqualify themselves. Like, this isn't about me. I, should, I could be a lubies. But it's Christians who get offended. And I believe that those Christians who get offended ought to be offended about this. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm just saying this is what God says Trust him and watch what he will do. And those Christians who tithe, they are affirmed. They are encouraged and they get fired up looking for ways 
to see God do what only God can do after they do what he's called them to do. And that's where it gets fun. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. We're going to conclude today a little differently than normally. I want to ask you right now to pray. Just to pray and, and silently right where you're sitting, no matter where you are spiritually, no matter your opinion about tithing. I want to just invite you to pray right now. A prayer something like this. Just say, God, I recognize that you are God. And God, I do believe that you have my best interest at heart, that you love me unconditionally. And so, Father, right now, I ask you for the grace. I ask you for the faith to follow you unconditionally to live every part of my life surrendered to you because of who you are and Father I thank you for the promise of freedom for the promise God that you attach to the tithe and Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would do in me whatever you want to. Whatever you want to do. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Amen.